Hey, wasn't it 80 degrees on Sunday? I th- Did I get that wrong? It was 80 degrees. And now we're supposed to get snow this weekend. We're going backwards. A lot of weird stuff happening. I have a list of sick people that I want to go over with you. And then the plan is to sing a song, have a prayer. Then we'll begin our Bible class. I hope you're in the right place. If you're looking for the study in the book of John, that's this one. There's also a study concerning moral issues that is taking place over in the annex. And there is a ladies class back there in the chapel. So if you're in the wrong place, you still have a few minutes probably to get in the right location. Otherwise, let's go. Irene Baker, who's Melinda Hester's mother, is very sick with cancer. Laura Galloway's dad, John Dryden, is also very sick with cancer. Martha Eaton's recovering from a foot injury she sustained quite a while ago. Austin Wentz, grandson of the gardeners, John and Wilda, he's recovering from a past diagnosis with cancer, and he's undergoing treatments and doing well. Joan Mormon's here, but she's still recovering from a a shoulder injury. Uh, Her sister... Norma has also been very ill. Brian Rowland is recovering from foot surgery he had some time ago, and he's making progress with his recent treatment. Sue Mason's brother, Ricky Ross, is doing well following lung surgery, and we're glad for that. Jacqueline here yet? Is Cameron here? Okay, we're still waiting on Jacqueline to return with that baby. But when they do, we will rejoice in seeing it, right? Eddie Smith is Keith Free's father-in-law. He broke his hip. He had surgery for that, and he's recovering. Quitman Quitman Wigginton is at Landmark uh, getting some therapy from a recent fall. He's doing great. Philip Coates is recovering from recent knee surgery. Larry Wallace is in Vanderbilt with infection on the spine. There's kidney problems as well due to treatment. Sandy Bonham was discharged from the hospital. She is at home. Uh, Keep her in your prayers. She's lost a lot of weight, but she has a very good positive spirit. Verlin Davis is to be discharged from the hospital tonight, I think, so we'll hope that's the case. Geraldine Taylor, who's Chopper's mother, she's been discharged from hospital and is going to Landmark for rehab. So remember her, that she'll have success with that. David Yates, uh, we've prayed for him quite a bit in the past. He still has some liver troubles. They're doing a bunch of blood work and scans. Um, It's possible that he'll be put on a transplant list. So please pray that uh, he'll get the right course of treatment for his condition. We've also prayed for a Terry Green, that's Ricky's brother. You know, he had surgery and they didn't get all of, of what they had hoped, so they were referring him for additional treatment. He's at MD Anderson right now being evaluated for possible surgery, and we hope only the best for him too. Okay, that's my list. Do you have anyone else you would like to? us pray about tonight. Okay, Cassie Foster's uncle, Andy, is having heart surgery, very serious condition. All right. Atlanta. Okay, we'll definitely pray for him. Okay, let's sing a song together, and then we'll have our prayer begin our study in the book of John. 688. Six, eight, eight. 
Take the Lord. Hope not. How about no, I will never forsake the Lord. Right? I would like a hundred percent on that. We will not do it because He means so much to us. Yes? Yes, He does. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for. Your blessings today. We thank you for your precious promises. We thank you for Jesus. And whether we said it or committed it in our hearts, our intention, our commitment is to never forsake you, to never forsake Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be here tonight. And I hope that our presence is indicative of that commitment that we just talked about. Father, we pray for our church family. Just generally, that's true, because uh, we love every member here and help us to be an encouragement to each one and a support. But, Father, so many folks we know or are actually members here are very sick, and we're praying for their deliverance. We ask your blessings on Irene Baker and John Dryden. And we pray for their comfort in their last days. We pray for Martha Eaton's recovery with her foot, for Austin Wentz in his battle with cancer, for Joan Mormon as she looks to have recovery from her shoulder. We pray it's successful and bless her with the pain she experiences. We pray for her sister Norma, who's been sick for a long time. I ask your blessings on Brian Rowland as he's trying to have a uh, foot that he can rely on. We pray is healing the very best that it can and that he'll not have a lot of problems with that. We're rejoicing that Ricky Ross is doing so much better and we pray a full recovery for him. Please bless Jacqueline and her baby, Lainey, as uh, they're growing, and we pray uh, full recovery from this delivery. Bless Eddie Smith as he's recovering from his broken hip. We pray he's just doing great. We ask your blessings on Quitman as he is receiving treatment uh, for his recent falls and uh, the the bleed that he had on his brain. We pray that his therapy will help him to get back to normal. Bless Philip Coates in recovery from his knee surgery. We pray for Larry Wallace that has so many problems and we pray a recovery. Bless Sandy Bonham as she's returned home and strengthen her Lord and give her good days. We pray for Verlin Davis and uh, also for her caregivers that she'll do well as she's uh, returning. We pray for Geraldine Taylor that she also can get through her rehab quickly and well and that she'll be back home soon. We pray for David Yates, who's had so many issues recently, and we pray, Lord, that this this most recent problem with his liver may be due to all the medication he's been on. We just pray that uh, he can get sufficient testing to know exactly what needs to be done for him and and if it's a if it's a transplant then 
we just pray that he'll, he'll get that quickly and be on his road to recovery. We ask your blessings on Terry Green as he still has so much uncertainty about his condition and has been through so much already. We pray, Lord, that we'll get some answers at uh, MD Anderson and uh, that those will be answers that will aid his recovery. And we pray for Cassie Foster's uncle, uncle Andy, who's having problems with his heart. We pray that the uh, type of surgery that he is expecting to have is going to be a success and that will promote healing. Lord, we ask that you will be with us tonight as we're studying your word together. Help, help our study to strengthen our understanding of your word and not only that, help, help our faith to be strengthened such that, as we sang just a moment ago, I mean, it, it would never even be possible in our own minds to forsake you and our Lord. And just thank you for the blessings that you shower on each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so studying the book of John. Uh, several things going through this book that we're trying to stress. Right now, we're in the midst of looking at seven of the dominant signs, a lot of time spent in this book, looking at these seven events. I see a baby back there. Yay. Hey, welcome back. Uh, little baby, you may scream all you want, and it won't bother us a bit. So we're looking at these signs, and... I hope that you're opening your Bible and looking at them kind of as you go through the book, because as you're reading it, it will help you to put it more in context of the, the work, the life of Jesus as his ministry was unfolding. I pointed out that a lot of his Galilean ministry is left to the other Gospels, like Matthew. Matthew covers it from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 14, and in that tremendous teachings, a lot of miracles are done, but John spends most of his time looking at Jesus' Judean ministry. So we're in that aspect of it solidly right now. Uh, some of the signs that we've already talked about, probably still fresh on your mind, so just want to review pretty quickly. In chapter 2, the first 11 verses, we looked at which sign? Where he turned the water into wine. That was a demonstration of Jesus' power over, remember, quality, right? Because it turned out to be the very best, okay? In chapter 4, verses 43 to 54, we have what sign described? Healing of the nobleman's son. Okay, power over distance, because the distance was about 20 miles from Capernaum to uh, Cana. And Jesus didn't have to even be in the presence of the guy, right? He just made it so. That ought to, that ought to instill quite a bit of faith and trust in us. In chapter 5, the first 18 verses, there's another healing that takes place. You remember what that was? Okay, the healing of the man with the infirmity. And it is power over, you remember what? I said power over time because his infirmity was for how long? 38 years. Wow, that's a long time. But Jesus gave immediately perfect healing. That's a miracle. That's a biblical miracle. In chapter 6, there are two, in fact, the very first of those in the first 15 verses is the most famous of all the signs, except for, of course, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that is which of the miracles? Jesus, what? Jesus fed 5,000. That is recorded in every single one of the Gospels, just like the resurrection story is chronicled. So there's something about that that ought to be so incredibly impressive to us. And my contention is that 
the two signs that we find here in chapter 6 are there because this first one that was so impactful and is considered to be apparently by God, one of those that you shall not miss. So it's, it's recorded everywhere. That is an instructive sort of sign. It is the one that ought to tell you everything you need to know about Jesus. It demonstrated Jesus' power over what? Quantity, right? Because he took so little and not only made enough for everybody, but he actually had what? Leftovers. <laughs> yeah, 12 baskets full, which was sufficient for what group of people? Those apostles that were going to continue going on. So that, that was pretty interesting. When I left you last time, we actually went through chapter 6, verses 16 to 21. And we went, we went as we have done with these signs, verse by verse, and I pointed out several things. I want to remind you of this text tonight. And then we'll go over the homework that I gave you last week. You remember that? I, gave you, I actually gave you homework. I gave you another text. It was Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 to 33. That is an account of something that John doesn't talk about. And what I wanted, what I wanted us to do is kind of, through, through comparing these, understand now why it is that certain things are found in John that are kind of left over, that, that other things are left out, that, that don't muddy the water. We want to get the point and not muddy the water with some other things. And I think this is a great example of the potential to miss the point of this text by thinking about the other text. What do you mean by that, Ken? Okay, let's, let's get this text together. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was already dark. Jesus had not come to them. Now, Jesus was taking care of what? The crowd, remember? And those guys get in the boat, and they end up where? Middle of, middle of the sea. The sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, which is about the middle... They saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay, stop right there. Those two verses tell us what John believes is the significant thing of this event. When they saw Jesus, what? What was their response? They were afraid. What did Jesus say? Do not be afraid. Ask yourself this question. Why would Jesus say that, given that he's out here walking on the water, and that's a terrifying thing to see? Because he has the power to take care of it. Now, here's, here's before we move on to this other text that has uh, an incredible story in it, I want to just kind of lay this out here. When we looked at the previous story, the first 15 verses, we had a description of an incredible event where Jesus does something that is mind-blowing, right? Not only is it sufficient, it's way more than sufficient, 12 baskets in excess. When those disciples saw that event, what should that have said to them without any qualification whatsoever? He can do it. He can, abs he can absolutely do anything. I mean, the first response that Jesus got was, well, you know, even 200 denarii uh, worth of bread won't feed these people. We don't, we don't have close to what we need. And then finally, we have someone who steps up and says, well, you know, we could do something. But Jesus takes the very least that could be and makes a tremendous bounty out of it. Do not worry. Do not ever, ever worry. If Jesus is there, it's going to be okay. Jesus is going to take care of this. Now, I would factor in, if someone would read this text for us, that would be great. I would factor in Mark chapter 6. Someone turn to Mark chapter 6.
Mark chapter 6. Somebody read verse 52 of that text, please. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Okay, so here's the big event. In retrospect, when those disciples considered the amazing display of the power of Jesus to be able to take care of the situation, how did they handle it? Did they get it? Not get it. They did not get it. Why did they not get it? Because they had a hard heart. Now, let me ask you this. Why, did they ha- Why do they have a hardened heart? After everything has gone well. In fact, we've got more than enough. The problem's been averted. No question about the awesome power of Jesus. Well, two of the disciples spoke up and what happened? Are they heroes in this story? Kind of not. Kind of not. Because even when the little bit of food was found, did he seem real confident that that would take care of the problem? No. They, 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 in the midst of this, were not able to wrap their minds around it. Now, when Jesus actually accomplishes the miracle, what's their response to it? Do they go, man, Jesus, that is amazing. Boy, we of little faith, you have really just shown us something here. Actually, they're like, oh, man. I sure have a bad attitude about what just happened. Would you ever forsake the Lord? You said no. Even when, even when Jesus is able to do incredible, amazing things that we would record in every single one of the gospel accounts, these disciples, having experienced that, still had a hardness of heart. It just wasn't sinking in. That was... I, I, what I'm putting to you here is that that event right there was the lesson... And when you get the lesson, when you were in school and you were given the lesson and the teacher's trying really hard to instruct you and you don't get it, there is a period at which you still, you know, you, you kind of, the teacher's going to be patient. I know this was tough and heavy. I'm going to give you some time. In fact, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity now to kind of demonstrate that even though this was hard to wrap your mind around, I'm going to give you an opportunity to demonstrate in a second occasion that that one was a fluke. You know, that was kind of the lesson. I'm going to lay the exam out here and I'm going to expect that as you go through this great test that you're going to come out with flying colors. So we saw this event. Jesus in this, as they've gone out into the middle of the sea, they are afraid. Is it reasonable to be afraid when you're out in the middle of the sea and there's a terrible storm raging? Absolutely, yes. Except that they have identified that Jesus is walking on the sea, drawing near them. Even though they are afraid, he says to them, it's I do not be afraid. Look what happened at verse 21. Then they willingly received him. What does that mean? At first they're afraid, oh no. But now, oh, it's you. And despite the fact that we're in the midst of this storm, we now have resolved ourselves with great faith and confidence in you that we want you with us. And so they take Jesus into the boat. Immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Isn't that a great story? John says that's a great story. Ultimately they passed the test. Let's move on except I gave you the assignment, right? And that was Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 to 33. Now, we've already seen Jesus out there. Oh, it's a ghost. 
You know, they're coming up with all kinds of things. Their minds are playing tricks with them. We're scared to death because of the storm. And now this ghostly figure has scared us. Jesus is there. Jesus identifies Himself. And who other than Peter would have been the choice to speak up and identify Jesus and with great courage? Now remember, we've just come off of the situation where we've, turned, we've fed 5,000 and the disciples didn't get it and they had a hard heart. Now hope against hope, Jesus is here and He is going to save the day. And you think at this point, our faith is where? Is it right here? Or is it right here? Where is it? Woo! It's way up here. We are so confident in Jesus. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you... Wait, stop right there. What do you already sense? A little bit of... Just that wee, wee little bit of doubt. If it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus says, come. Now, if Jesus says, do something and you do it, what is your expectation that's going to happen? Jesus says, you do it, you step out to do it, what's going to happen? You're going to be a success? I'm telling you, you're going to be 100% success. So Peter answers, Lord, if it's you, So if it is, I know how to prove it. You command me to come out there, I know that I'll be able to walk on that water. So he said, come, Jesus did. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, look here, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You say Jesus walked on the water. Anybody else ever walk on water? Peter did. How do you know that? What does it take? for a person to walk on water. Well, first it takes the command of Jesus to come out here and walk on this water. (laughs) Okay, but then, having qualified that, you respond. Peter hopped out of that boat, and the text says that he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Okay, now, let's remind ourselves, Lord, if it's you, well, is it? Clearly it is, because he can walk on the water. But, don't you always hate to see that word? When you see the word but, just wipe out everything that came before it. We were so, so excited, so hopeful. We're thinking, cut it off right there. We can tell the story. John, forget about the business of Jesus just coming in the boat and then welcoming him and kind of getting over their lack of faith. Even when they saw all of that food and the remnants, kind of forget that part. These guys are redeemed. They are good. He's in the boat and they went to the other side. Oh, wait a minute. Here's the rest of the story. Peter hopped out of that boat and he was going to Jesus confident now that it's him. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Stop. What were they to start with? Afraid. We are afraid out here in the midst of the storm. We are afraid of this ghost that has appeared. We are afraid. Jesus says, don't be what? Don't be afraid. It's I. It's me. Don't be afraid. So Peter isn't afraid. He hops out of the boat. Now he sees the storm and he's afraid again. Lord, save me. Wait a minute. Had he not been saved already? What was he doing before? Walking on the water, wasn't he? You need to be saved when you're walking on the water with Jesus? No, but what what about when the doubt creeps in again? You were so confident. You hopped out of that boat. Anybody else with Peter? Anybody else hop out of that boat? Where's Andrew? He's down on the thing looking like this, like, what's going on? What's happening out there? Where'd Peter go? What's he doing? What if that's really Jesus? I don't know. Looks like a ghost to me, still, still a ghost. No, Peter, Peter's the only one 
So I, I, I thank you, Peter, you know, for the faith. But as soon as he gets out there and he sees the storm, it's boisterous. What has he forgotten? What's he forgotten about Jesus? This is still the same Jesus that can take a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and feed 20,000 people. This is still the Jesus who can heal a young man 20 miles away. This is still Jesus who can heal a man who's been infirm for 38 years. This is the Jesus who took water and turned it into the very best wine. Jesus can do what Jesus says to do. Jesus said, come out here on the water, and yet he saw the storm and what happened to his faith. I was thinking about this story that, you know, there are all kinds of storms in our lives. And I'll break it down into just two. There are some storms that come as a result of terrible mistakes we've made. You ever seen any storms like that? The consequence of your sin. What do you need to be able to make it through that storm? (laughs) We need Jesus, don't we? Don't we need Jesus? Even when the storm is of my own making? Don't I still need Jesus? There are also storms that come that just come. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not necessarily the result of something I did and, and I brought this on myself. Sometimes storms just happen. I just went through a list of people who are in storms right now. You know what I'm talking about? There are some people that are facing some tremendous storms coming down the road. Fear for, you know, uh, what if gasoline gets to be, I don't know, $8 a gallon. Could you imagine that? What am I going to do? Uh, What about your job? Uh, How are you going to feed your family? Maybe you worry about your family. Maybe there are circumstances. There are all kinds of storms that happen that are out of our control totally. Uh, Who can help us through that storm? Jesus can. So let me ask you something. If you had hopped out of that boat would you have just kept right on walking to Jesus? I mean, is Peter like the weakest of the weak? I don't think he is. Pardon? Well, he sure did, without fear or prejudice. Preached the first gospel sermon. Uh, He's the guy who at Gethsemane pulled the sword and cut off Malchus's ear. I mean, this is a guy who's ready. He's the guy right here. You read it. He jumped out of the boat. How many people jump out of a boat in the midst of a storm in the middle of the sea (laughs) at 6 o'clock in the morning? Who does that? Peter had all kinds of faith, but when he faced the storm, he had a moment, okay? He had a moment. You ever had a moment? Nod your head this way. Yeah, we've all had moments. It's all lost in my moment. I'm sinking. No, even in those, uh, those weak moments, I can do what Peter did. Peter said, Lord, save me. And what did Jesus do? Jesus, now I love this. Jesus didn't say he needs to learn a lesson. So I'm going to let him kind of bob there for a little bit. Then I'll bring him in. What's it say? Immediately. Does that remind you of any other story you've read in the scriptures? About the prodigal son? What happened when he returned home? Father, make him kind of, you know, wallow in the mire for a little bit. May, I'm going to teach that boy a lesson he'll never forget. No, he ran to meet him, Right? immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Uh, Yes. And I ask us, when you face the storm of life, whatever that storm is, why would we ever doubt? Why would we?
When they got into the boat, what happened? The very thing that had caused him to be afraid, what happened to it? It ceased, it's vanished, this is over with, okay? Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, well, of course they did. Truly, you are the Son of God. Is there any question about that? Shake your head this way. No, there isn't. However, and this is why I assigned this for your homework. This is not John. This is Matthew. John, John didn't tell us any of that stuff. Why not? Given, and also, I just want to sprinkle it with this. This is one of the seven signs that John wanted to detail sufficiently so that when we just read this, if we didn't read Matthew's account with that incredible story about Peter and his redemption in that moment of weakness, which just so much applies. Okay, so when I read this, I'm reading what John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was revealing about this event that was supposed to create that ironclad belief in me that Jesus is the Son of God. Why is it that this version is the one that's supposed to do that and not necessarily the other one? Yes. John is describing for us whose perspective in this? Whose demonstration of power? Jesus is. Hey, it's great about Peter. Is Peter the one I want to have faith in? You know, I say, who do you most relate to? Uh, So many people throw their hand up and say, Peter, you know, he he was always flying off running off the seat of his pants, you know, just, he he never thinks, he does. Is that really how God wants us to be? Who are we supposed to be conforming ourselves to? Jesus. You know, I can, all of us, we can relate to lots of people, but the one we're supposed to be measuring ourselves against and the one we're aspiring to, the one we want to follow is Jesus. Now look how, look how this text does that. Yeah, it was in the evening. Yeah, they went into the midst of that sea. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Is that, is that amazing to see? What does that tell you about Jesus? This is our same Jesus that just, just presently was doing a, an amazing thing of feeding 20,000 people. Now he's out there on that water, walking on the sea, drawing near the boat. Oh, we are afraid. There's no doubt about that. But he says to us, it's I do not be afraid. And without thinking about all of the twists and turns of the lack of faith, what was the final conclusion in those disciples? Not just Peter, but every single one of them. They willingly received him into the boat. What does that tell you about their confidence in Jesus? And by the way, you could insert any old story that you want to about your own life, but ultimately, when the whole story is told and we get to the conclusion, what is it that we really want to know about our trust and dependence on Jesus? What I really want to know is that I don't have to be afraid anymore. Is that true? The, the thing I really want to know is that He is, he is accepting of me, right? He'll get in this boat with me. And then we will, we will not linger on whatever the problem or the storm was. We will hop in that boat together and what will we do? We'll just keep right on going, yes? Here's the thing, don't let those storms in your life create a shipwreck wherein you never get back up. You don't know anybody like that, right? I've known lots of them. 
get in a storm, and they're still in that storm. Okay. Yes. No, but I, I, I think you're exactly right, Martha. That's why when we looked at uh, Mark 6.52, those guys, even though they saw that event, they still had a hard heart about it. You know, they didn't exactly receive it. Now that they've seen this experience, why is it that we're continuing to emphasize that despite the details of these events, in the ultimate outcome, they still come to believe in Jesus, Right? Is there hope for all of us, even when there are doubts that remain? Absolutely, yes. (laughs) Amen to that. I hope we all get it. Yes? Okay, we're going to stop. So uh, next week we'll be in John chapter 9. So I appreciate if you go ahead and read that text. Verses 1 to 41.
it's time for us to uh, go ahead and get started. If we want to be coming in and finding a seat, it's always encouraging to me when I get up here and I see brethren, hear brethren visiting with one another. It's, it's just an encouraging thing to come and be here on Wednesday night. And on top of the fellowship and the encouragement we receive from each other, uh, we get to study the, the Word of God and we grow spiritually from that as well. And so we're so thankful that you're here tonight. And we especially want to thank our guest. Uh, if you're visiting with us tonight, we're honored to have you. And we hope that you want to come back and be with us anytime. We have uh, our worship service here on Sunday morning at 930. We have excellent Bible classes for all ages on Sunday evening at 5. And then, of course, on Wednesday night, we assemble at 7. Just a few announcements tonight. First of all, be sure and get a copy of the bulletin before you leave. And that, that will have a fairly updated list on the sick, but there's a few additions that I want to make known tonight. First of all, Sandy Bonham is now at home, and we're thankful for that. Also, Verlin Davis is uh, going home this evening. Also, uh, Geraldine Taylor is now at Landmark. Also, it is a joy tonight to have Cameron and Jacqueline Jumper along with little Laney, uh, their first time. Uh, to come here as a family, and uh, we are certainly uh, praying for them, and we're thankful that everything is going well for them, and uh, I hope that uh, you'll let them know how glad you are to see them, and uh, we're just thankful that they're able to be with us tonight. I want to remind you to turn your clocks forward one hour. That means uh, be some tired folks here on Sunday, Ken. You know, next you lose an hour of sleep, so... Turn your clocks forward one hour Saturday before you go to bed. We want to express our sympathy to Sandra Green and Francille Davis and the death of their cousin, Trent Eaton. Also, uh, the Golden Circle. Now, that's ages 55, I think, and above. We're going to be going to the Tammy Wynette Legacy Center in Tremont on Friday, March the 25th. Uh, it'll be just a day trip. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, get to eat at a place called Kelly's Kitchen. There's a sign-up sheet uh, in the foyer. If you would like to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. So please sign up for that. Tomorrow, of course, is our food pantry and clothes closet. And uh, we appreciate all who uh, worked that to make it a success. The pantry item uh, this week is canned lunch meat. So uh, please help with that if at all possible. As far as our devotional tonight, Ken Scott is going to be leading our singing. At the appropriate time, Guy Gardner will dismiss us in prayer. Good evening. <clears throat> Go ahead and mark your books to 939. 939. This will be a song at the appropriate time of encouragement. Take your hymn books and turn to 666. 666.
know, there's something about the end of the world that is tantalizing for people to think about. That may be true because to think about such is terrifying. Maybe it's because we we want to let our imaginations just kind of run wild, or maybe it's because we want to try and figure out the unknown. For whatever reason, it seems the subject of the universe and the destruction of it is very intriguing. We even hear and see movies about the end of the world. Maybe we're all going to turn to zombies or some big meteor is going to crash into our world and it's going to come to an end. It's interesting, though, that one report led by Dennis Pamlin of the Global Challenge Foundation, he offered a list of 12 science-based risks to our world. And so according to their research, here are the 12 things most likely to destroy the world. Number one is catastrophic climate change. And to that, we can say baloney. Don't ever fall for that. Number two, nuclear war. That's kind of intriguing, particularly with what's going on in our world today. Some, another, number three was global, a global pandemic. That might have some uh, groundwork with us in view of the coronavirus. Number four is ecological catastrophe. Number five is a global system collapse. Six, a major uh, asteroid impact. Seven, a supervolcano. Number eight, synthetic biology. Number nine, nanotechnology. I don't know what that really is. I know it has something to do with the changing of atoms, but that's about it. Uh, Ten, he says, artificial intelligence. Eleven, future bad governance. That's a possibility, isn't it? And then, of course, number 12 is unknown unknowns. Now, there's no doubt that these potential catastrophes are interesting. But if we're going to be blunt about it, they're all wrong. It's not surprising that the researchers seem to have avoided the Bible completely in their research because I guess that's why the real answer is missing here. You know, the Bible's always right and its predictions and God being all-knowing and all-powerful and eternal, he being the creator of our universe today, God's prediction track record is pretty accurate. In fact, it's 100%. God's always right in his predictions. Now, when we turn to the Bible, Scripture is very clear in regard to how this world is going to come to an end. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2, or beginning in verse 7, uh, the answer there is given. There, Peter said, by his word, that is, by the word of God, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. He goes on to say, you know, don't be ignorant of this one thing. That one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Now, sometimes we take that to mean, well, time means nothing to our God. And, you know, one day with us is like a thousand years with God. And that certainly means that. But what the context is actually trying to get us to see is that when God makes a promise... 1,000 years from the day that he made that promise, it's just as good then as it was on the day in which he made it. And then the Bible goes on to say that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, he says, will come as a thief in the night, in the which the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works therein shall be burned up. He then says, seeing that all these things are going to be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? And so, to put it simply... Our world is going to end by being destroyed by fire. Perhaps maybe we could put that into category 12, unknown 
unknowns, but that would give the researchers too much credit since they did not use God in their research to begin with. But we need to realize the specific way that God is going to destroy the world by, by, by fire is very clear. Although it may be a mystery to us how he'll destroy the world by fire. Now I think in view of all that, the only question that remains for us is this. Are we prepared for that end? Thankfully, God has given us an answer to this as well. Not only has God told us that this world and this universe will be destroyed by fire, but God has told us, you know, how we can prepare for that event. And the way that we do that is by being a faithful child of God. If you look at Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, the Bible says that you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says, for, and that word for there is for a reason. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see, when my faith is active to the point that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God with all of my heart, that faith will lead me to repent of my sins, to confess the name of Jesus, that he is the Son of God, and then I can be immersed in water. Acts 2.38 says that baptism will wash away sins. And it's at that point that I become a child of God. And though it's somewhat scary and unknown, the end is inevitable. We know the end is one day going to come. It's uncertain. We don't know when that day is going to be. But we do know that now's the time for us to prepare for that great event. So tonight we sing the song of encouragement. It may be that you need to respond to heaven's call, even tonight. And if we can help you in any way, we'd love to do so. Please come while together we stand and sing. God, we thank you so much that you give us the opportunity to come back together as a body of believers on Wednesday night and refill our spiritual cup. And God, we're just so thankful for that opportunity and the lessons we heard. 
God, we know we have several that are sick, and we ask you to please be with them and help them heal as only you can. And God, if you bless us with another day tomorrow, God, I just ask that we love everyone that you put in front of us, and we accept the awesome responsibility that comes with the wearing the name of Christian, and that we conduct ourselves with kindness, gentleness, and integrity, and that we treat others the way that you want us to treat them. Please forgive us where we failed you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.